What's up, guys? My name is Chris, and I want to welcome you to Lifeline Community Church's Sermon Podcast. We're a church committed to inspiring people to follow Jesus further. We believe that everything in Scripture points towards Jesus, and no matter where you are in life, we believe everyone can find Him. When we do find Him, He leads us to a life that thrives. I hope you enjoy this week's sermon. Take care. Good morning, Lifeline. Who all loves the beautiful cold weather out here in the mornings? Is there anyone? Does it just put you in a good mood like it does me? You walk out and you're hit with like a 35 degree wind and it's just, it's amazing. It makes you realize how much you don't want summer to be here. At least it does me. If not, then whatever. But I was put in a very good mood this morning and I hope you were too. For those who don't know, my name is Colson Eaton. I'm one of the youth volunteers here at Lifeline. Um, I'm one of the guys that is on any given Wednesday night throwing dodgeballs at your children. Not always like that, but I do play to win. So um, anyway, but if you're new with us, um, I want to give a special welcome to you guys. We are very grateful that you are here, and we hope that you have a great experience with us today. Also want to give a shout out to all the Rams fans in the room. Do we have any Rams fans? No? I, do, I know we have some Bengals fans. Benny, where are you at? Somewhere in here? There he is. Sorry about that. I can't really say I really cared who won or lost because I'm a Cowboys fan. No? All right. It's going to be that kind of sermon today, I can tell already. Um, but as a good Cowboys fan, you know, even though we pretty much lose and suck every year, next year is our year. I'm going to be a good Cowboys fan and say that. Um, for the last several weeks, we've been digging into a series called Good Work, and Pastor Kel has been giving us an insight as to what it means to be a Christian in our everyday work lives. Um, and what it means to honor God with an average of 90,000 hours, 90,000 hours that you will work in your adult life. And so for the last two weeks, this week, and then next week, we are talking about work and why work. Because work matters, because work, like I said, takes up 90,000 hours of our average adult lives. And what it means to not only just be a good worker, but to what it means to be a good Christian worker and to represent God in all that we do. Right from the very beginning, God worked. He created a place where you and I could enjoy and appreciate his masterpiece. <clears throat> he knew that we'd be looking at a sunset with awe, and he knew that we would be taking pictures and hashtagging, God is really showing off tonight, right? How many times have you seen that? And it's, it's kind of those things where every time I see it, I'm like, yeah, that's really pretty. But then I'm also going on Facebook and Instagram and Snapchat to see who all took the exact same picture and did the same little hashtag line, God is showing off tonight. That's just kind of what goes through my mind. I don't know why. Maybe that's bad of me, but it does. But he didn't just create a world with just, enough to li- with just enough for us to live in, just the bare necessities. He created a very good world. He could have just made it go from light to dark, no in-betweens, no beautiful sunsets, no nothing like that, but he didn't. And he didn't have to create coffee. We do not have to have that to live. I don't know who needs to hear that this morning, but your Starbucks, $10 Starbucks every morning, you do not have to have it. And all the guys are going hallelujah, and the women are about to get up and walk out. Um, but he did. He went above and beyond for us. And so when I first started throwing ideas around for this sermon, I don't know if you are familiar, but there's the boardwalk in Clemson. It's a really beautiful place. And I actually went there um, to kind of start putting, throwing ideas around. And I went there after the gym. So I was in shorts, and I actually had a, a hoodie on, but it was about 38 and windy. And I was out there on the dock, and I just, yeah, it was cold, but like I said, I really love the cold. And it was just, it was beautiful. It honestly, it wasn't quite that nice, but it was gorgeous. The fish were jumping. The water was really pretty. There was 
college students everywhere swinging and having a good time. It was just a really cool setting. And actually, I've really, I felt like this was from the Lord, but this, old, this older guy who had been, he had been walking on the boardwalk there, and I'd kind of seen him, he made eye contact with me, and he went by, and on his way back, he actually stopped, and um, turns out he was a professor at Clemson there for a while, super cool Christian guy, and I just, it was just really encouraging um, to see that. He said, hey, I seen you over there, I thought you looked like you were, had your Bible out, and I just wanted to give you some encouragement. And so I just thought that was really, just really neat. But God went above and beyond. Psalms 19.1 says this, The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the works of his hands. And when God created Adam, he gave him a task right off the bat, right? Genesis 1.26 says this, God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. His job was to look after and be a good steward of this beautiful creation that God had just spoken into existence. Not the bare minimum creation, not the it'll get the job done, it'll be good enough for him, but a very good creation. And a place where we could take pictures of just our feet by the ocean and comment the beach life, right? How many times have you seen this? Be honest. It's always from the knees, and that's really got grainy, but it's always from the knees to the toes, just enough to show the freshly painted toenails and the tan that'll peel off in about a week, right? <laughs> but we just, uh, a group of us just went on a mission trip to Jamaica, and it honestly looked a lot like that. And it was, it was just, I was just reflecting back on that trip, and really about right out here, it was probably 30 or 40 feet deep. And if you had a pair of goggles, you could just see everything, the fish, it was just, it was just beautiful. And that just kind of reminded me of it, and just the true beauty and the true excellence at which God created this, this world that we live in, how blessed we are. Um, to live in it. But we were created in the image of a working God to bring honor and glory to him through our work and everyday life. And I love how he set the standard by giving, giving us the example of what work and what creation should look like and the level of excellence we should strive to go to. And if we are joining God in the creation process and moving creation forward, what do we do it poorly? And uh, so there's you know, two examples. There's just, you have the first Christian that rolls up to work in a Jesus rock shirt and maybe a necklace with a cross on it and a fish on the back of his car, and shows up and just does kind of mediocre work, right? Just enough to get by. You know, he's just there to get a paycheck and just kind of chilling. But you have the other Christian who shows up humbly, just shows up to work day after day, crushing it, killing it. And the beautiful thing about that is people are attracted to greatness, right? People are attracted to success. We give people who are great, we give people who are successful platforms. And so eventually... Someone's going to come up and say something, whether it's a fellow employee or his boss or her boss, whoever it is, and say, you know what, what makes you different? Why do you stand out when everyone else who looks Christian is just kind of going through the motions? And they can say, well, I believe that I'm created in the image of a working God, and how I work ultimately reflects God. And Jesus actually gives us a taste of, what actually, of, what, of how he, the standard that he set when he worked. Um, in John 2, we see one of Jesus' first public miracles, and he's turning water into, into wine. And so from the very beginning, Jesus is setting the example of what excellence and going above and beyond looks like. And Jesus did hundreds of miracles, right? But most of them were, you know, giving people the bare necessities, you know, the mute be able to speak, the blind be able to see, lame be able to walk, you know, all these things. But one of his first public miracles that's at least recorded is he's taking something that is good, and he's making it great. And so John 2, Jesus is at this wedding in a small town in Cana, 
And scholars believe that there was no more than about 100 people in this town. So it was a very small town. And it was at this wedding where they start running out of wine, right? We all know the story Jesus turning water into wine. Well, that was a party foul back then. You did not run out of wine at a wedding. When they celebrated, they celebrated for days. Um, it was a good time, and you just did not do that. So the kind of the stink of running out of wine would probably stuck with this couple for a while. So Jesus' mother comes up to him and says, Hey, they're running out of wine. You should do something about it. So it's here in John 2, verse 6. Um, it says this, So nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, Fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. Then he told them, Now draw out some water and take it to the master of the banquet. They did so. And the master of the banquet would taste the water that had been turned into wine. He did not realize where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. Then he called the bridegroom aside and said, Everyone brings out the choice wine first, and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink. Wink, wink. But you save the best till now. So the master of the banquet is just, just amazed, because like it says, you bring out the good stuff at first, and when people can't tell the difference between the good stuff and the white claw, then you bring out the cheaper stuff, right? Where no one can tell the difference, save you some money. Um, but did you catch the amount of wine that Jesus made? So it says he took six stone water jars that held around 20 to 30 gallons each. So we average that out to 25 times six. That equals about 150 gallons of wine for a wedding in a town with 100 people in it. So even if you, you know, add 50% more people than are actually at that town and give about 150 people at the wedding maybe, that's a gallon of wine for every person. And my thought was that's a wedding I wouldn't mind getting an invite to. Honestly, there's about four or five weddings that I have to go to. Don't have to. Blessed to go to. Um, <laughs> but, you know, but before the summer, and so I might be pointing them at this verse right here. You know, biblical weddings, this is what they're supposed to look like, apparently. Um, but when Jesus did something, he did it with excellence. Paul said it this way, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters. Since you know that you receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward, it is the Lord Christ you are serving. And the beautiful thing is God has given each and every one of us incredible abilities and talents and things that not everyone else can just do, right? And he gave them to us so that we can leverage them not to provide for ourselves, although that's a, you know, a perk, but to bless others and to ultimately glorify God through our work and through the things that we can do. And it doesn't matter what we do for work. You can be an engineer, a doctor, a plumber, an electrician, a ticket salesman. Whatever it is, if you're glorifying God, then you are ultimately contributing to his will. A man who understood this better than most was a man named Joseph. Joseph was a man who appeared to us in Genesis 37, and um, he's roughly 17 years old at this time. He's sending his father's sheep. He is the brother of 11, 11 he is the 12th brother he had 11 brothers, right? They were all older than him, okay? Um, and he was the favorite. And it says this, his, his dad actually made him a coat of many colors. And kind of back then, you would kind of have a single color coat, kind of drab, and that's what you had. His father went the extra mile, made him a really pretty one, basically the Lululemon to his brother's athletic, Russell Athletic Wear. It's kind of not knocking Russell Athletic Wear, okay? $15 for a shirt at Walmart, you honestly can't beat it. I'll take four. Um, but long story short, Joseph starts having these dreams of his brothers bowing down to him, right? And so his brothers, not only is Joseph the favorite, but now he's having these dreams, and he's actually telling his brothers, oh, hey, by the way, I'm having these dreams of you guys bowing down to me. 
And I don't know that I would have taken that very well. And as the oldest brother in my family, I can relate to annoying little siblings who think they're better than you. Um, but one day, Joseph, you know, his father sends him out in the, in the field to, to check on his brothers. They're with the sheep. His brothers see him come, and they're like, hey, there's that dreamer. There's a spoiled kid, right? And they're like, let's kill him. Seems a little extreme, but that's what they decide to do. Um, so he goes there, the oldest brother, you know, generally the ones who are more wise, I would say. Probably the older ch- children can definitely tend to be more wise and uh, level-headed. Is like, hey, you know what, maybe that's not a great idea. Let's throw him in this big hole in the ground right here and then decide what to do with him. So they do. And like I said, having little brothers, I understand the whole throw him in a pit story. There may, have, may or may not have been um, an in- incident on a Sunday morning before church involving my younger brother, a flight of stairs, my last nerve, and a swift kick. Um, I'm ashamed to say it happened, but it did, and I can kind of see where they're going with this, really. But it just so happened that there was a caravan on its way to Egypt, right? And in this caravan were some Midianites who were actually dis- or related, distant cousins of Joseph and his family. His brother's are like, hey, they're going to Egypt. We don't like this guy. Let's sell him to him. We'll never see him again. So they do. They sell him. Not only does Joseph's brothers not care for him, but apparently his, fam- his other extended family don't really care for him because they're like, yeah, we'll take him. We'll sell him off in Egypt. So that's what they do. They tell, tell their father that Joseph died, and Joseph goes to Egypt, and brothers are thinking they'll never see him again. And it's here in um, verse 39 that we pick up and kind of see what's going on. It says this, Now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt. Potiphar, an Egyptian who was one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him there. Another name from Indianites. So right away we see that Joseph, obviously there's something different about Joseph. The Bible doesn't really say a whole lot, but one thing you don't do with captives or slaves is you don't go offer just any of them up to some of the top nobles in the country, right? Obviously there was something different about Joseph where they said, hey, this is the guy you want, right? This is the guy that you need in your household. And that's what happens. Um, Verse 2 says this, The Lord was with Joseph so that he prospered, and he lived in the house of the Egyptian master. When his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord gave him success in everything he did, Joseph found favor in his eyes and became his attendant. Potiphar put him in charge of his household and of all that he owned. The Lord blessed the household and of all that he owned. The Lord, I have a typo, blessed the house of the Egyptian because of Joseph. So how cool is that? Because of Joseph's willingness to allow God to work through him and to remain faithful to the Lord. Not only is Joseph blessed, I mean, he's one of the top dogs here in Potiphar's house, but Potiphar's household is also being blessed because of Joseph. And what a testimony of, that, of what that can mean to others in our lives when we are willing to let God guide us in whatever season we are in. That's a pretty rough situation for Joseph, and he continues to remain faithful to, father, to his Father in heaven. And it not only blesses him, but also blesses those around him. So verse 6, So Potiphar left everything he had in Joseph's care. With Joseph in charge, he did not concern himself with anything except the food he ate. Business owners, how nice would that be, right? You have that one employee who just, you know what, boss, go ahead, you know, go play nine, I got it. And not only does your business, you know, continue to do well, but it actually does better because this guy, this top employee, this manager, whatever it is, is in charge. And fellow employees... What a standard to live up to, to seriously take ownership of whatever situation that you were in. Now Joseph, now Joseph was well-built and handsome. And after a while, his, his master's wife took notice of Joseph and said, Come to bed with me. 
but he refused. With me in charge, he told her, my master does not concern himself with anything in the house. Everything he owns, he entrusted to my care. No one is greater in this house than I am. My master has withheld nothing from me except you, because you are his wife. How then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? I love how he says sin against God, because it's not his boss that he's sinning. It's not HR. It's not his fellow employees that he would be sinning against, but it's against God. Joseph understood and realized that his work did not just reflect him or those around, but it ultimately reflected God. He knew that he was created in God's image and that his work ultimately reflected on how God was seen. How does that look to us in our everyday work lives? Clocking in a little bit late when you know you got there, or a little early when you got there late, or purposely working over customers to get a little more commission, even though it makes the business look bad, but hey, you're just here for a paycheck. What does it really matter? It don't matter. And the Bible said that she came to him day after day, and he refused day after day. Every day he made a conscious effort, a conscious decision that, you know what, I will honor God with my actions and with his work. He chose excellence even as a slave. So one day she made a move on Joseph, right? And we know the story. She grabbed his coat, he takes off running, and that's kind of how it goes down, right? He didn't even stay in this situation. He didn't even try and talk his way out of a situation that might possibly dishonor God. He wasn't even going to stay in that scenario. He wasn't going to tempt himself and be like, well, you know what, let's talk about this. Hey, no, this is not something good. He ran. He got out of there. Why? Because it would dishonor God. So Joseph goes to prison. Potiphar comes home. His wife lies, and Joseph goes to prison. And in true Joseph form, already he begins to impress again. Verse 22 says this, So the warden put Joseph in charge of all those held in the prison. He was made responsible for all that was done there. Not really sure how you become charged in prison, but Joseph found a way. Um, and it's just super cool that you know, he goes from these highs and these lows, and no matter what situation he found himself in, he was always faithful to God. And he always realized that, you know what, if God is for me, who can be against me? Craig Rochelle um, I don't know if you are familiar with him, but he's one of the lead pastors, or he is the lead pastor of Life Church, and he's someone that I really enjoy listening to. He's got podcasts, Apple Podcasts or Spotify, and he talks a lot about being content in the season that you are in. And one of his um, sayings that he kind of quoted is, be where your feet are. And I love this phrase because basically the meaning behind this phrase and, and what he's trying to get at is you cannot serve God to the best of your ability where your, where your mind is not. You know, for, for me especially, it's so easy for me to and be in a, a certain season in life and, man, just, just hate it and always be looking for the next best thing, right? Whether it's the next business opportunity or the, you know, whatever it could be for anyone, the next relationship or the next whatever it is. There's tons of things that we could list off, right? But we're not where we're feet are. And that's one thing that Jesus was so good at is being um, in the moment that he was in and being truly present in the moment is, and seeing the others around him and, and really um, just making a difference um, right where he's at. And it's so easy as Christians to pray those holy prayers, right? Like, God, give me discernment. Give me, give me uh, patience. Give me wisdom. All these things. And yet, we don't think that maybe it'll take certain seasons in our life or certain storms in our life to really grow. It's kind of like, you know, going to the gym. You say, yeah, I want to get healthy. I want to get this and that. I want to run a marathon. Yeah, you say these things, but you actually don't put the work in to do them, right? And I feel like sometimes that can be the same way God uses certain seasons and certain hardships in our life to truly grow, grow us in those seasons that we are in. 
instead of just a Solomon-type experience where, yes, you have it right away. And we are not called to be obsessed and worried with the future and the things of this world. We are called to serve God and to love those around us. So what about Joseph? I'm glad you asked. Um, so he's in prison, and he, he kind of makes friends with these two guys. There's a, the king's, Pharaoh's chief cupbearer. Pharaoh's another name for the king in Egypt. The chief cupbearer and the chief baker. And these two guys start having these dreams, and they don't know what, they're, what, what they mean and you know, this and that. So um, Joseph, he can understand and interpret visions and dreams. So the, the cupbearer's like, hey, you know, I had this dream. What does it mean? Just like, well, you're eventually going to be reinstated to your position at Pharaoh's side. Okay, that's awesome. Well, then Baker's like, hey, what about me? And Joseph's like, well, actually, you're about to be killed. Kind of unfortunate, but, but that's kind of how, how Joseph's name kind of started, got, how he, his name got out there and how people started um, realizing really what he could do. So it's about three years later, after the cupbearer is reinstated um, to Pharaoh's court, and Pharaoh starts having these dreams. And no one can figure him out. And, and that's when the cupbearer's like, hey, while I was in prison, there was this guy, Joseph, who really helped me out. Maybe you should give him a try. So he does. And Joseph interprets the dream. And Pharaoh's like, wow, that's amazing. And just mind blown. They come up with a plan. Basically, it was gonna be, there was going to be several years of, of great harvest and abundance. But then it was also going to be followed by this really um, horrible famine and drought. And this is where we pick up in verse 41. This is after Joseph had interpreted the, the dreams. It says this, So Pharaoh said to Joseph, I hereby put you in charge of the whole land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh took his signet ring from his finger and put it on Joseph's finger. He dressed him in robes of fine linen and put a gold chain around his neck. So from a spoiled favorite son to a captive slave to the head guy in a noble's house, back to a prisoner, now to second in command, not over just any nation, but Egypt was actually the powerhouse of the region in that area, right? And I love how throughout this story, God's goodness, you know, God keeps, he keeps working, he keeps growing him. And every time he comes back up out of the pit, if you will, or out of, out of his um, prison, you know, he, it gets, keeps getting better and better. And God's showing us that just like Jesus showed us in John, that when we come to him with anything, whether, no matter what it is, when we rely on God and we trust in him and we call upon his name, he not only gives us what we need, he gives us more than we need. And he gives us the very best that he can. This was literally the best case scenario. As a 17-year-old captive slave, there's no way Joseph could have been thinking, this is where I'm going to end up. But one thing he did choose is he chose to trust God and to love God and to serve God in every season that he was in. And when we're willing to allow God to take control of our lives and we truly begin to live our lives in a way that is truly honoring to God, amazing things start to happen. And so as the band starts to come up, um, I just have just, a, just one last encouragement for you guys is, is just trust God in the season that you are in. And this is something, uh, Kel, when, when I picked this date, I didn't know what we were talking about. And it, he just had to laugh, me and him had kind of been going back and forth, and I kind of told him some things that were going on, and we just kind of had to laugh at this is what I picked, because I am talking to myself so much as far as being content in the seasons that we are in, but the Bible is just full of examples of, you know, just numerous people who trusted God 
in the season that they were in, and it, it always worked out better. And I promise you, if you keep God first in your life and trust him, it always will end up better than you can imagine. So let's pray. Father, I thank you for this day you've given to us and for um, just the beauty, God, that you've put all around us in your creation. Thank you that you are good. I thank you that you love us. And I thank you more than anything that no matter what season we are in, whatever we're going through, God, that you are there with us always. And I thank you so much for your love. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.